live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on the social media accounts. Check out the directory. Which pad, how many providers are we on right now? Uh, 112,000. Sounds about right to me. Parlay Points blog section. New stuff going up there every single day, it feels like. And there's a lot that is coming, especially the Dre Driven vlog is blowing up right now on our YouTube channel. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts, organizational links, support and Black Lives Matter, voter registration, and so much more. The the patron, the Patreon, the the T Public Store. There is so much that I'm losing track because I get so animated talking about it that I'm going to just tell you simply swing on over to odphpodcast.com and check it out yourself. And on social media, use the hashtag odphpod. Kicking off this edition of the entertainment show, we have to recap. An event that went down, I was in attendance for, Rich from 3FN went with me, and is a usual ritual for us here at the ODPH. It's an annual event. It's an annual event. We cover it every year. It actually spawned the first entertainment edition way back when, five years ago. And that is New York Comic Con. So you could say it's almost like a pilgrimage. It is. You can definitely say that. I mean, it's something the, the first year we went down there, it was Pat and I running around with just cell phones, covering like press, because that's what we do. And then it turns out a year later, guess what? We did get press. This year, we kind of went a different direction, shall we say. Incognito. Incognito, if you will. Not the official for them, per se. But we were asked to cover some things for some of our great outlets. So we definitely did that. And there was a lot of news to go through as well. So we're going to focus on the positives. And that is something that I definitely want to break down because there was a lot that happened this past weekend. But kicking off for us on Wednesday, we were fortunate enough to be in attendance at Warner Brothers screening for the premiere of the new Mortal Kombat's Legends Snowblind animated film. Interesting. Yeah, so we were in the house to see that before anybody else. And dare I say, if you are into Mortal Kombat, you're going to absolutely love this film. If you're kind of like on the fence about it, you're definitely going to dig it. It starts very strong. It kind of has a middle section that gets really calm and quiet, maybe drags a little too long in my opinion. But that ending goes absolutely completely crazy. It fits that Mortal Kombat motif. It was a very cool film, especially the ending. So, like I say, I'm definitely into the franchise. I'm not like a super, super Mortal Kombat guy. But I do like it. And I definitely have to say I recommend it. So if you were into Mortal Kombat, you definitely want to check out that animated film, which is now out on Blu-ray as we are recording. So you definitely want to check that out as well. Yeah, looking just at who worked on the movie. Uh, it was directed by a gentleman named Rick Morales, uh, who, according to his IMDb, he's known for being the director of Beware the Batman, uh, which looked like it was a TV show from 2013 to 2014. He was, hey, good credits here. Uh, he was in the art department for Star Wars The Clone Wars in 2008. Uh, he was on uh, the 
the art department from 2010 to 2012 for Generator Rex, which was a Cartoon Network show, uh, and one you will enjoy. He was a producer on Injustice. Yes. Uh, I believe this is the movie. Yeah, that's the movie. Yeah, you know, I'll still take it. So we definitely want to thank Warner Brothers Media uh, and their home entertainment division for inviting us to come down and cover it as press. So we definitely are super thankful for that. Would love to do it again next year if the opportunity arises. But that's how we kicked off Wednesday. Thursday really was kind of a good feel-around day, kind of get your way around the con. Because if you've never been to New York Comic Con, they did some expanding into the Empire Building. Right, the, the, the new portion they were working on for like three, four years. Yes, they they got that up and running. They did move a lot of the panels sure. to there. So sure, that, which makes sense. It made a lot of sense. It freed up a lot of room in the lower areas where you had the gaming area, mm-hmm. the autograph section, and, of mm-hmm. course, Artist Alley. And we took full advantage of that. I got to meet some of the writers that we cover here on Parlay Points. And definitely had a great conversation with Kyle Higgins and Ryan Parrott. You know them from Radiant Black and Rogue Sun, respectively. Had a very good football discussion with Ryan, too. Ken talked about his love for the Miami Dolphins. Oh, my. Well, Ryan is a big Miami Dolphins fan. And obviously, we've had a little back and forth on Twitter about that, me being the uh, diehard Buffalo Bills fan. But it was a great conversation. Definitely, we're talking about Rogue Sun and obviously Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 100, which came out, was the first uh, customer that he had to sign. Oh, okay. Ever since the book came out, he's nice. like, this is, he was like, this is the first time I've seen the book. So he was super animated to do it. Uh, great conversation. Can't speak highly enough about Ryan. We are working on a date that he is going to be coming on the ODPH to talk Rogue Sun, which I can't recommend enough. It is a phenomenal series spiraling out of the Radiant Black universe. The first trade paperback is out right now via Image Comics. And the last issue was the Choose Your Own Adventure one. I couldn't talk about it because of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, embargo reasons. Yep. I'll tell you right now, it was a phenomenal issue. It was something completely left of center. And it's something that they do at Black Market Narrative. That's the, the house that does Rogue Sun, Inferno Go Red, which is coming out. The Dead Lucky, which you know I love talking about that book. Like, they do so many cool things. Especially Rating Black just had a very special issue with uh, issue number 18 where they did the fold-out and the oh, yeah. four panels going across. Yeah. They have a special edition where it's just a gatefold and it tells the entire story going pull, huh. pulling out. Like, they do so much cool stuff at that house. Uh, I just I, I recommend all the books because they really are just pushing the envelope as far as creativity mm-hmm. and marketing on stuff. And if you ever go into their, their Discord, their Discord is spot on, too. Love hanging out in there. So, like I said, started a great conversation there. Met up with David Pepos, who we know from Savage Avengers. Uh, he's actually doing a two-part story for Fantastic Four right now. Ooh. Sue Storm is basically filling in the role of John McClane and Die Hard oh, Jesus. in the Baxter building. It's a, it's a oh, great, that's awesome. Part two comes out this week, so I recommend picking that up. So caught up with him for a little bit. And caught up with Stephanie Phillips, who is the writer of Grimm for Boom Studios, Beatrix Rose, Vigilante for Comixology, We Only Kill Each Other, which is a great Comixology story that we, I covered earlier in the year. She was amazing. Can't speak highly enough of her. Just, you know, had a great conversation about Grimm, which I can go into full detail about. I do hold it back on the podcast a lot. But it is up there as my new favorite series of 2022. It is that damn good. I know they just wrapped up their first arc. I recommend as soon as the trade comes out, because the first uh, few issues are very, very hard to find right now. Really? Oh, yeah. It's been flying out of the comic stores. And rightfully so. It is such a creative story that just you will get hooked to issue one, and you'll be locked in for the entire series run. And like I say, they're just ready to start the second issue or second arc. And she was telling me she just got the art from Flaviano, who is just doing some amazing things in this book. 
And she's like, you are not ready for what's coming out for that. So I am super excited to check that out when it comes out. And like I said, definitely with um, trying to make it happen that she'll be coming on the podcast to talk about Grimm and Beatrix Rose and everything else because she does fantastic work. Next up on the events that we were covering, a Super Mario Brothers trailer dropped. Yes, it did. So obviously this one had a lot of buzz going into it. Chris Pratt doing the voice. Yep. Jack Black crashed the panel. Yep. Jack Black uh, also involved is uh, Charlie Day's Luigi, which yes. is phenomenal casting in my opinion. So, Pad, I know you weren't in attendance for it, but what did you think of the trailer watching it? Well, first of all, Nintendo, step your game up. I had no idea they were even doing a panel about this in New York. I just knew the trailer was dropping on Thursday because there was a buzz on social media about it. You know, I got home from work. I got home from whatever I was doing. I think it was at the gym that day. Um, you know, and I, I was like, oh, hey, the, they're doing the live stream for the uh, trailer for the trailer. And it was over. So I rewound it a bit on YouTube and I, and I was got to a point where I'm like, all right, nope, that's too far enough. Here we go. Just right. And, and they're talking, and it's with some folks from New York, from, uh, you know, the United States, because it was like a whole pre-recorded thing, and they were talking to folks from Japan. You know, and they're like, oh, hey, let, you know, let's show the trailer for everyone online and our friends in New York. And I was like, wait, they're doing a thing at New York about this? I feel like there would have been a little more fanfare about this. Had not even heard a word about this. So, Nintendo, step your game up. Uh, yeah, I got to say, I think for some of the panels that they did in New York Comic Con, just my opinion, and this isn't meant to be a slight, I think some went very low-key under the radar. And for me, I'm somebody that studies that whole panel list when it comes out. In years past, we've done an entire episode devoted to breaking down each day. This year, obviously, we didn't do it because we weren't doing official press, but we wanted to cover the stuff that we were going to be in attendance for. So... This was one that when we saw it for the registration, like this one jumped out because I, I had no idea what was going on. And then yet alone, we had the panel goes down, saw the pa- saw the trailer and thought I thought it was solid. Like the, tra- I, I, the trailers. OK, Jack Black. So the, the cast list for this movie, if you haven't heard, is insane. This movie is coming out. When is this coming out? At some point uh, next year, 2023. Uh, it's expected April 7th. Uh, so it's as we mentioned, it's got Chris Pratt playing the voice of Mario. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy playing Princess Peach, Charlie Day playing Luigi, Jack Black playing Bowser, Keegan-Michael Key playing Toad, Seth Rogen playing Donkey Kong, Fred Armisen playing Cranky Kong, Kevin Michael Richardson playing Kamek, uh, then you've got uh, Carrie Payton, who's a very well-known voice actor playing the Penguin King, and, and I will say, you know, and, and for what it's worth, yet Charles Manet, uh, Martinet is listed in the IMDb credits. So he is the voice of Mario, has been the voice of Mario for like 30 something years, 40 something years, whatever it is. He'll have a role in the movie in some capacity. The animation looked good because it's from Illumination Studios. So it's the same crew who does, you know, the Minions movies, you know, the uh, uh, Despicable Me movies. So the animation looks phenomenal. I know people are talking about Mario's backside, but yeah, whatever, you know. But the animation looked good. Jack Black as Bowser is phenomenal. Like his mm. voice, his voice as, as Bowser was blue in the trailer, blew me away. Chris Pratt, little to be desired. You know, we only really got maybe one sentence t- to hear him as as Mario, and I wasn't entirely sold on it yet. I need a longer trailer. I need to hear more than just maybe one. I think it was like one or two sentences. But other than that, the trailer honestly looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought the trailer looked good. Like I say, the panel's energy was kind of carrying out. Like, we were outside looking in because we were running around doing some other things. But just, we had some friends that were in attendance for it. They were really impressed by it. And I think that this trailer is going to surprise some people. Like I say, I wasn't sure what to expect. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was solid enough that it was like, okay, I get it. And, you know, I can understand they are going to be showing a lot more as the months progress. But I think they're going to be making some changes, too. Because I think that... 
it was almost like in Sonic the Hedgehog kind of feel mm-hmm. that the first one came out mixed reviews. I mean, this was <laughs> the first trailer for Sonic. Very negative reviews. Very negative. But oh, I thought that, I thought it was a lot better um, when they went back and redid it. Yeah, after they did. This. I yeah. think you're going to have the same thing happen here. With yeah, it, could, it could be. Which you know what? I don't blame him about doing as well. So. I thought that that was another standout moment. Uh, another one panel that we had friends talking about, too, was the Velma one. The, oh, yeah. The new series coming out to yep. HBO Max. Yeah. Heard a lot of good things about this. So, definitely, they're taking a different take with the longstanding Scooby-Doo character. And I definitely want to check it out uh, when it comes out. I think that that could be a sleeper show. It could be. I And I heard they were doing the trailer, and it was Mindy, Mindy Kaling, I yeah, believe, Mindy Kaling is, is was the, there. behind it. She's voicing Velma. I got to say, Glenn Howerton, who plays Dennis on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, is a very interesting choice as Fred. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Yeah. Just if you, if you know the character Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia... And then you think of Fred from Scooby-Doo, no matter what iteration or what, you know, rendition it it is of him, whether it's the original series or one of the later or more recent ones, night and day difference between those two characters. Oh, absolutely. But Glenn Howerton's a great actor. Yes. No, I think this one had a very stellar cast onto it. And I thought this one kind of flew under the radar a little bit as well. But I'm definitely going to check the series out when it comes out. I think that they had a lot of things going on with this. Also, I think one of the standout... uh, Media outlets that came down mm-hmm. to put it. I think that's probably the best way to say it was Amazon Prime Video. Oh yeah, Amazon Studios Prime Video. Yeah, they had a lot of panels going on. Good Omens we heard was coming back next year. Legend of Vox Machina is coming back uh, January of twenty twenty three. Still got to finish season one. Nothing against it. Just there's a lot that came out between what you know. I it, I started watching it well after it came out, and then just other stuff started coming out that I wanted to watch, and it kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, no, I thought that they had a very strong presence with that. The Perfield, uh, that's a brand new show that's coming out as well. Uh, big panel noise coming out of that one too. So I thought they had a very good showing as far as media outlets in the in the building for it. So I thought they did great. Obviously, one of the big stories was the return of Marvel to NYCC. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're not familiar, Marvel Comics, and I do stress comics. Not the movies. Not the movies. Comics. Comics. Occasionally TV. Occasionally TV. Occasionally TV. But comics showed out and definitely wanted to take the crown for New York. They had a phenomenal presence. And you saw a lot of the familiar panels come back. This week in Marvel, they did a live recording with the teams behind Captain America. Okay. So the two books out right now, which are written by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, Tochi Onobuchi. And they had the editor, Alana Smith, in the house. Oh, okay. Um, There is a big crossover that is coming out called Cold War. And I have not shown Pad this. I've been trying to hide this. I, I've heard, I've seen the timeline, and I saw the kind of like logo for it. But past that, I haven't seen anything else. This is the cover, yo, of the one-off that they're doing. It's the Captain America Winter Soldier special. I kind of want to get that blown up and framed. Yeah, the art is the cover is by Salvador La Roca. Art is by Kev Walker. This is That's nice. Yeah, this is definitely going to be setting things in a crazy direction. And the big takeaway is. Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, has a whole new look. It does. And a whole new outlook on the MCU. That's got, like, the poster's giving me some, like, late 70s, early 80s Bond poster vibes. Yep. With, like, a spy thriller. Yeah, they went back to the Age of the Shield days. I like it. I loved everything they had to come out with this. They've been doing some very good work with these books, Sentinel of Liberty and Symbol of Truth, respectively. Mm -hmm. I think both books have been really spot on. I'm, I'm starting to go back and get into them. Obviously, I read a ton of comics, so I don't have a time for everything, but I'm trying to go back and definitely check it out. What I've read so far, really dig. And obviously, leaving this panel, I am super excited to see what they're going to be doing here because obviously, the new persona of the Winter Soldier 
is going to stand out. They're uh, obviously crossing over with the White Wolf of Wakanda. Right. And that whole storyline sounds absolutely epic. They're bringing Nomad back, which I don't... Interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm going to be very honest. I really don't. I was never a big fan of him. This is not USA agent level of hate. <laughs> but I was... I just... I always kind of thought he was just a C-level a hero at best. Sure. But I trust the... Writers, what they're doing here, I think that obviously if you know Parley Points, Lansing and Kelly wrote phenomenally with The Harbinger for Valiant Entertainment, one of my favorite books. And if you can really make me care about Peter Stankage, I will give you the benefit of the doubt every single time. What they're doing here, I'm already jazzed about it. Like you can tell the sound of my voice. Fun panel, and like I say, this was the first one we attended for Marvel, and it really had that feel of like Marvel is back. And obviously, if you've never been to New York Comic Con before, mm-hmm. it's tough to explain. But Marvel really, really, really wants to win New York Comic Con. They every year. usually take up a good chunk of space on the show floor when it comes to like square footage. Yes, they definitely did. They had a couple separate booths. Like they sure. they were in their usual location. Okay, but they also had a separate one for a new uh, online game called Snap. Okay. Which uh, we ch- we tested out. Rich from 3FN played it. Really loved it. It's had a lot of good things to say about it. So that is going to be one that you definitely want to keep your eye on when it comes out. But they were definitely doing a lot of crazy events like they usually do. So I don't know if I would necessarily crown them Kings of Con yet, though. They did have a strong competition from two competitors. Okay. DC Comics panels okay. really showed out this week. Okay. And Comicsology, hmm. holy smokes, did they ever come out and try taking the crown? They didn't have a huge presence per se, like a, not a huge booth. Sure. But first one, as you come off the escalators at the Javits Center in Artist Alley, yep. so you hit it straight on. Yeah, they had creator after creator after creator signing, and they had giveaways galore from tablets. If you were the first one in line. Uh, they had ex- exclusive trading cards like we talked about. Yeah. Got a pack, and they were the books that are on the lines with QR codes. Like, mm-hmm. they did some cool things. And they had writers and artists come down signing them. Nice. And they had gift cards that were going to – like, they were doing so much. And the pins, too. If you like pins, that is the place to go. And people thought Amazon blew all their money on Rings of Power. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. They definitely showed out for this. And why we go into this is that morning – we ran into an old friend. Yeah. Scott Snyder. Oh, okay. So I got to give a little backstory about this one. Scott Snyder has been on the ODPH. He will be coming back on at some time later this year. We have to finalize some dates. But we went to the line at uh, his table at an artist alley first. Greg Capullo was supposed to be there, but he was tied up doing uh, prior commitments, which this happens. Like sure. at New York Comic Con, this. New York's a busy place. Yeah. When we always say in wrestling cards, subject to change. That's what really happens here. Mm-hmm. Plus traffic and everything else. Yeah, so it was kind of a little crazy that early in the morning, but I know they were tied up doing interviews left and right. And, mm-hmm. Scott, and Scott came down running in, and obviously we were kind of very high in line. Sure. And when we saw him, I was like, hey, Scott, you know, I'm, I'm Ken from the OD. Didn't even let me finish. He's like, dude, thank you so much for all you do. Like he <laughs> remembered, he heard the voice. That's awesome. Talking with him, uh, definitely was doing some signings. We waited like about two hours because we went up to cover another panel and then came back to the Comicsology line because him and Jacques were signing posters for the Book of Evil, which just came out 
can't stress enough about how good that book is, too. It will chill you to the bone, but it is a great read. So we were in line at Comixology, met up with our guy, Dre Driven. All right, yeah. As we're going in line, and I will tell this story all the time, we go in. Jock is the first one I see. Scott is right next to him. Go introduce myself to Jock. And all of a sudden, Scott just leans over and goes, these guys have a great podcast. You need to check it out. Wow. And, of course, I resort to can't speak fanboy. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh. Brain, brain's turned over. Yep, because I'm just like, and Chuck's like, oh, definitely got to check it out. Like, the hamsters stopped running in the wheel. Yep. And Scott was like, oh, funny to see you here, too. And <laughs> just I was like, dude, I got, I got to get this book signed. Like, I got to get this poster signed. I'll definitely begin the trade when it comes out. And he's, like, just super gracious. Like, I can't speak highly enough about Scott Snyder. And especially not just with me, but with every single fan that was there and interacted, taking the extra time, really talking. Like, that's why you go to cons is when you go see these creators. And, like, I can't stress enough. Everybody we met was super gracious. And, yeah. you know, like, for this is the first time I met, like, Stephanie Phillips. I can't speak highly enough about her and the interaction because she was so energetic about meeting and just talking. Mm-hmm. And, like I say, we were having this great conversation about Grimm. And, like, I really want to do this on the podcast. So I'm putting, like, powers out to be we're going to try making this happen. It was like one of those moments like when you meet, you know, these creators that are doing such fantastic work and they're just as excited to see you. Yeah. Like that's just what makes it worthwhile. So that whole experience was great. And like I said, Comixology, we'll be talking about them a little later in the show, but can't speak highly enough. I really think they gave Marvel a run for the money. I believe it. And not to take anything away from DC because they did some cool things as well. But... It was a situation where DC had some announcements coming later, mm-hmm. but Marvel came back and took the crown. We were in attendance for the Marvel Fanfare uh, panel. Okay. So C.B. Sabalski, editor-in-chief, Nick Lowe, who does the editing for Spider-Man, and Humberto Ramos okay. were in attendance. Jonathan Hickman was originally scheduled, but he uh, he couldn't make it for, re- we'll just say, reasons, reasons, but not in a mean sense. Uh, he was tied up with something else. But Umberto came in, and it was a great conversation. Like, the thing about Marvel fanfare, it's like the cup of joe when that happens. Sure. It's just a one-on-one conversation, but in this case, it was two-on-one, or three talking. And it was just about, like, the history of Marvel and, like, the fandom and just how that interacts and really gets that vibe. And it's a very cool panel to attend. Like, it doesn't matter who's there, Mm -hmm. but it's just one of those cool panels. You go and you start talking, and it reminds you why you're a fan. You know, a lot of times we kind of forget and especially, like, if, if you're an older reader, yeah, like, why did you get into this in the first place? Like, that kind of vibe. But it definitely delivered on that front. So it was a cool panel to go to. Going on the same time, though, was Jim Lee and Friends. Oh, okay. And that one, a lot of news coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm showing Pad right now. The book with Mark Silvestri doing Batman and Joker, The Deadly Duo. I heard something about this. This Live. seems wild. This is absolutely wild. This uh, It's supposed to drop November 1st. Okay. So seven-issue limited series. I cannot wait to pick this up. They're also uh, doing a lot more of the uh, Batman One Bad Days. Oh, uh, uh, okay. But this one was Penguin. John Ridley's writing it, so Ooh. he does great work. So you definitely want to keep an eye out for that when that comes out. They also were doing a Waller versus Wildstorm oh, book, too. So this is going to have a lot going on with Amanda Waller. I know Wildcats is coming out, so there's a lot of things happening. Spencer Ackerman is tied with this one as well, too. 
I'm really waiting to see how Amanda Waller ties in against Wildstorm, but it's supposed to be like almost like an origin story. Interesting. Yeah, Dre was in attendance for this, and he was freaking out. So you know this is a big deal. Also, I was hearing more about Milestone, and they got some real cool stuff going on uh, in 2023 too. Like there was a lot going on at this panel, but the big mic drop for me, mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, Pad. Yeah. Joe Casada is returning to DC. Really. Yeah. Wow. The longtime Marvel editor in chief. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I've been here. I don't read his name actively in the comics because I, I usually skip over that. Honestly, mm-hmm. I hear his name a lot because he's always mentioned in all of their audio drama podcasts. Yeah. Wow. And here is the covers of the Batman books he's working on. Interesting. Right now, which it's slated for Batman one thirty one and one thirty two respectively. So. That's huge news. I mean, we know that Joe Quesada has worked with DC before, and then he went to Marvel, and like we said, he's former editor-in-chief. So this is a big deal. Obviously, when he stepped down, he's, we knew he was going to be doing something, and this is huge to see him back on the covers. This is some beautiful artwork, too. And, and like I say, this is a huge win for DC, so they had some big wins going on this day as well. But there was one panel that kind of overstood everybody on this day, and that is Batman Spawn. Okay. Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Greg Capullo in talk, the house talking. Talk, talk about a who's who of comic writers. Yeah. The artists, dude, these are the three legends. Three legends. Yeah. And the fact that Todd McFarlane came in, was given a lot of information. Spawn movie is still on the way. I was playing us some voicemails from Jamie Foxx. Oh, jeez. So, and Jamie Foxx is like with this until the end. Oh, I he, believe it. He, and he, you can hear the hype in his voice, too. So, got everybody hyped. But the big deal was they released uh, the cover images for the Spawn Batman crossover, which is coming out December. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be released same day as the comic shops in Barnes and Nobles as well. The Interesting. Only, the only time that they've done that, I believe, is Detective 1000 and Action Comics 1000. Right. They don't do it often. Todd McFarlane is shooting a shot. Okay. He is claiming this will be the number one selling book of the century. Okay. A little early to say. Of the, of the year? Maybe. Of the decade? Maybe. Century? Looking at the date, it's a little early. <laughs> he's, sh- he's shooting that shot. He said about King Spawn came out and sold half a million. Sure. Which I, I'll be honest, didn't see that number coming. Yeah. And I'm not in. Yeah. Because in my head, Spawn obviously been around since the 90s, has cooled off significantly. Sure. Still a big book, still making still popular. Moves. Yeah, still popular though. But the fact that it dropped that much, I was like, are you kidding That's me? That's wild. That, that freaking blew my mind. So he's saying he did not say the number it had to hit, but he was saying you factor in Spawn did this with King Spawn. Yeah. You now have Greg Capullo, who has been doing such noteworthy work Mm -hmm. with Batman and everything else. You're bringing him back into the fold, and it's Batman. Yeah. He's like, what else could you do? Not, like, not much. Yeah, he said the only the only book that he would be somewhat interested in Marvel in was involved in Spider Man, Venom, and I believe Batman. But I think when he started mentioning this, I started losing my mind because him coming back to Spider Man would just break the internet mm-hmm. on every single level. But there definitely has this book could be the book of the year. I will say that on record because when you have Capullo and McFarlane teaming up again, I mean, that has been such a long time since they've done. Yeah. McFarlane, I believe, is doing the inks for this, too, sure. and Greg's artwork. Like, Sure, like, book of the year. I, like, in terms of, like, the highest-selling book of the year, yes, I can I can see that. You know, decade, yeah, bit of a stretch. 
the century though it, it's a little early like you know god forbid if marvel and dc decide to like team up and do an avengers versus justice league book that'll outsell everything of the century yeah you know like so of the year sure you can make that claim i think that's a pretty safe bet but of the century yeah a little early yeah like i say it's it's kind of crazy but i mean mcfarlane is known to shoot that shot like and that's one thing that you gotta appreciate about him like he is not afraid to speak his mind he's not afraid to say what he feels, and like I say, he is about as DIY as it comes. They have got a million, it feels like a million people doing covers for this book. The J. Scott Campbell one looks absolutely fantastic. I'm showing Pad that artwork in a sec. But, I mean, and then Capula, the Capula one, like, oh, my God, it's it's just so good. Like, they have got so much cool stuff going on with this. Plus, before this, they're going to combine the previous crossovers between Batman and, and Spawn okay. into one book. So if you weren't familiar with that in the 90s, uh, guess what? You get a little treat now. So super cool news coming out of that. Like, I think that was the biggest one for us on that Friday. But also, Friday night, and I will say this is probably the event of the weekend, we were invited to Fandom's party in nyc Ooh, nice so definitely want to shout out fandom and the party which was presented by paramount plus z2 comics pinfinity and heinz ketchup and Ardbeg. Hmm. uh absolutely tore the place down uh they did such a fantastic job for this party a lot of the celebrities there were from uh, Teen Wolf, the movie. So, sure. So they had some people down there. Um, they had from The Mandalorian, Brendan, Brendan Wayne. Oh, okay. So he was in the house for that. Rod Rottenberry from uh, CEO of Rottenberry Entertainment was in. Interesting. Yeah, they had a lot of celebrities down there. But the one that obviously I think got the most buzz from us in attendance was Ice-T was performing. Nice. And he absolutely killed it with Starface and Cool Keith. Chuck D was in the in the house too. Like there was just it was a cool party. We've been posting images all through the week, so you definitely want to keep an eye on ODPH social media for that. But we can't thank Fandom enough for inviting us down. Like that was a really really cool party to cap off Friday night. But yet we did not do stop covering Saturday at New York Comic Con. No, we didn't decide to sleep in. Rich and I definitely braved it along with Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming and mm-hmm. the hashtag show. Tom's been doing some crazy stuff down there as well. We started off Saturday morning. Conversations with mm. Scott Snyder, Jock, and Will Dennis. I see what they did there. Yes, they did. Comixology, this was their panel of the weekend. They did an awesome job. I love hearing Scott and Jock and the teams behind these books at Comixology, which I can't stress enough. It's worth the price of admission to get those books for Comixology Unlimited because, one, you can read them ahead of time and it's all digital. Two, if you love them, you can go out and buy them because most, I believe, are all getting released via Dark Horse Comics in print. Okay. So there's that news going on because We Have Demons is out now. Night of the Ghoul is just starting print. And I'm not sure when Clear is coming out. I believe that is coming out very soon as well. The next wave has just started, but they were all talking about the Book of Evil. And like I say, I can't stress enough. The premise of that is just an absolute insane idea, but they're making it work. And it almost kind of has like a in a weird sense, a superhero vibe because mm-hmm. it's told through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy who's really just trying to find his brother and, and just the trail that goes on with this book is just absolutely phenomenal. And they did a great panel. Like It was definitely a perfect way to kick off Saturday, so definitely want to plug that. Dre Driven was in the house for the good, um, the R.L. Stein. Oh, yeah. Goosebumps. Yeah. Um, he was there for that in the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur panels. Right. He had a lot to say about it. He was speaking highly of those as well, so that was a big deal going on as well. DC Comics, though, had a massive panel that, Pat, I know is probably very close to your heart. A little bit. 
the new Superman yeah. format that is coming out. Yeah. So this one was absolutely amazing to see. Josh Williamson, Dan Jurgens, Mark Russell, Philip Kennedy Johnson, and moderator Alex Segura were all in attendance for this. Talking about the love of Superman, talking about a lot of crazy directions that is, the books are now going in. The big news breaking out of this is they're going back to the triangle format of the 90s. Interesting. So it's a throwback of throwbacks. I marked out because this is where I really started getting into Superman. Okay. So there is some big news going on with this. Arguably the biggest noise coming out of this is the Jonathan Kent book, which is done by Tom Taylor. Yeah. Is now going to be transitioning into Adventures of Superman. Hmm. Interesting. So they're taking it back to the old school title of that. I love the idea for this. And he's going to be taking on Ultraman. So if you know anything going on with Jonathan Kent, you know why that name is very important. Action Comics is going to be kind of rolling out like a new format, uh, which they're going to have three stories going on. Uh, for Philip Kennedy, Johnson's going to be writing one. Dan Jurgens is doing one. And Leah Williams is join, joining the, the Superman team and doing one as well. So really cool stuff coming on with that. That is going to be dropping on Action Comics 1051. 1050 is when he comes back out of Dark Crisis. So that's, uh. there's a lot of stuff going on there. But the biggest one that caught me, and anytime that there's a new Superman book, you know it's huge. There's a new Superman monthly that is going to be dropping by Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell. Mm. That book sounds absolutely crazy, and I am all in about this book. I think there is so much Superman love in this room. Like I say, a lot of times we forget why Superman's cool, Mm -hmm. and I know he's your favorite Superman. Oh, absolutely. And we always kind of forget, like, it's cool to be the Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. Like everybody likes being super edgy and super gritty. And, yeah. and you know, it, it doesn't mean that all the time in comics. So to see that here, I thought was a very cool event. And I really thought that they did some really interesting things about the new format coming out, too. Because the Superman series, I, I don't want to say it's kind of lost some luster here and there. But I know when they do, like, some big events and do some really cool directions of the books... Sometimes it gets a little lost in the shuffle because well, I mean, it's, well, and you got to get creative just because you got to figure the character's been around since like the 30s mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. So when it, you've got a character that's you know pushing a hundred years in in publishing, you know where seemingly he's probably done everything that you can possibly think of, mm-hmm. you know, but yet they continue to come up with different stories and new ways and new and new adversaries and and what have you to put him in front of. You know, you, sometimes you got to get creative just to keep the old uh, train going. Yeah, absolutely. Also going on Saturday, I wasn't able to get to this panel because of scheduling conflict, but the Marvel Voices, the World Outside Your Window panel was going on. So they did have some announcements going on. There's a new Marvel Voices, Wakanda Forever, they'll be coming out. Hmm. And they did announce about three new series, a limited series they're going to be coming out. Bloodline, Daughter of Blade. Okay. So that's done by Danny Lore, and the art is going to be done by Karen Derbo. Okay. So that is one to be looking. That looked absolutely incredible. Silver Surfer Ghost Light. Interesting. By John Jennings and Valentina Delarangio. That is this looks absolutely crazy. Like I am just blown away by the character design. Right. And where the story is going to go, obviously, you know if it's involving the Silver Surfer, it's going to be somewhere out there. Yeah. But I'm here for it. Literally and physically. Yep. And uh, the other book that they really mentioned that caught my eye, Bishop War College, hmm. number one, by Jay Holtman and Sean Damian Hill, covers by Ken Lashley. Uh this looks awesome, too. I'm a super big Bishop fan from way back when in the 90s, so I was super excited to hear everything going on with this. I uh, wish I made the panel, but like I said, it was a scheduling conflict going on as well. And then we had Marvel's next big thing. Like I say, they showed up for mm-hmm. this. And to sum up 
they actually released their news like the MCU. Okay. There is a comic slate yeah. of events going on. Like, how cool is this? Yeah, it's, it's cool, you know, and it's helpful for the fans. I know Star Wars has done this for some of their their uh, books and comics coming out. Like, So I, th- I think it might be an, an all Disney thing that they've been doing. Because, like I said, I know Star Wars, I think it was either for one of the panels they did for this or maybe it was one at San Diego. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which, but they did something similar for their books. And, like, because the, with the Star Wars books, there's a, this whole High Republic thing that's going on. And so there's there's... Uh, adult books, young adult books, middle grade books, comics. And it's like, you want to read them all. Where do they all fit? So like, if you get the screenshot, you can keep track. Yeah, I definitely think so too. And, and I thought it was really cool. They did this because they had a lot of news breaking about this. Avengers assemble is going to be Jason Aaron's swan song to the Avengers. Okay. Uh, run he's been on. And that's nearly five years. Like it feels that's like, nuts. it feels like yesterday with him. Yeah. Like he just left Thor and then did Avengers, but they're going to be tying that in. I can't wait to see what happens there. The one that really caught my eye, though, was Dark Web, mm-hmm. and that is Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley. Oh, your favorite person? I know. Like, it's clones taking over the world here. So Chasm and the Goblin Queen are going to be taking on Spider-Man and the X-Men, and this looked crazy. They did have a little animated video for it, and okay. it looked absolutely just insane what is going on here. So I'm definitely excited about that. Also, there's going to be a gold goblin coming out that apparently Norman Osborn has now gone to the power of good. Yeah, Pat. I, I buy that for about as far as I can throw it. I, I'm not stuttering about that when I said that. Like, I, it's, I don't think it's going to last very long. I I, and I don't mean that for like it's going poorly. They had to reverse direction. No, I, I think it's a means to an end. It's going to be something about that that is just going to absolutely blow some people away. And like I said, the cover image looks amazing. He's flying by. It looks like the uh, high-rise building. Um I want to say the Empire State Building, but it's somewhere sure. where like windows are, and you can see the reflection of the Green Goblin in the sure. mirror of the gold. Like it's just such a cool image. A new Red Goblin book will be coming out too, and Hollow's Eve is coming out as well too. Like that is one that everybody is really talking about. Uh, she should be the next big thing from Marvel. Uh, Erica Schultz and Michael Dowling are going to be doing the book in March, hmm. and this has got one that like everybody was super amped up about. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to keep an ear out for that. Apparently, it's a character that's already been in, uh, in the MCU for a little bit. So whatever's going to happen there is going to be something to really, really keep an eye on for. And then they go to the Sins of Sinister. Uh-oh. So this looks like they're going to tie it back into the days of Age of Apocalypse. Uh-oh. So they did announce that there was a few titles that are going to be switching over. Like uh, Legion of X is going to be switching over to Nightcrawlers. Uh, X-Men Red is going to be switching to a Storm-led team book that... This one, I, I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go with it. And then you have Immortal X-Men are going to become an Immoral X-Men. Oh, boy. And basically it's what Sinister has done in this entire new age of the X-Men is coming back to haunt them. So, well, but of course it, it does. But it looked, it looked fantastic, though. I mean, that's the one cool thing about this is the fact that they're going that route is going to be something insane. Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, that's the name of the book. Like, I knew it was super long, but that's what's going to be taken over for X-Men Red. Definitely excited to see what's playing out here. Obviously, they talked about Captain America Cold War. So that is coming November, December, January, and then spring. Next summer is the summer of the symbiotes. Venom, Carnage, and Red Goblin is returning. There's a new Red Goblin book. Uh, It's not apparently Norman. There's a lot of speculation about who it could be. I am not going to go there, but we're going to find out. And then last but not least, and this is the one that Jerry Dugan, the writer of X-Men, was in attendance for. And basically, entitled The X-Men Have Been Winning a Lot, 
It's time for that to change. Mm. Fall of X next summer as well. And it just sounds like Kuroka is done. Uh-oh. So whatever that means, if this is the official end of the X-Men storyline, it's going to be something to definitely keep an eye out for. They also teased a Guardians of the Galaxy event going on in March, and it's basically entitled How Do You Rebuild a Family? It's a broken Star-Lord pendant. Interesting. And somebody yelled out, too, is that Groot? Because it looked wooden. Like, yes. The crowd was definitely into this one. Jesus. So I don't know what to speculate on that one, but I know that we're definitely going to be covering that. Like, that just looked absolutely wild to me about this. So that was really kind of topping off Saturday for us. And then Sunday, just kind of a quick hits because we weren't in attendance. The DC Batman panel definitely was bringing a lot of energy. Uh, talking about the Batman books in Gotham City. The Tim Drake Robin one out right now. Hearing a lot of hype behind him. Right. have not dived into that one just yet. Definitely excited about that. You also had Titans and Doom Patrol. They mm-hmm. had a big panel on the main stage. So that looked like that's going to be something to really, really be checking out. Obviously, on HBO Max when they're coming back. They did see the footage for the new season of Titans. I think that looks really good. Okay. Um, I'm not, like, going to say crown them, they're back. It's going to be a, a whole new show, but it's definitely going to have a cool vibe to it. Major casting news that I know you are super into. Yeah, that's uh, Tom Welling is joining the Winchesters uh, prequel show. Yes, the, which just debuted, I believe, yes. this past week. 757,000 people watched it, I think. Which made it like one of the top debuts on CW Network since like I forget what year. Yeah, there was a lot of buzz coming out of this panel. Like really, people were super excited about the show coming out. And last but not least, and I gotta say, Marvel did it again. The Women of Marvel panel definitely had a lot of news coming out. Uh, there's gonna be a new X twenty three Deadly Regenerous Regenesis series by Erica Schultz and Edgar Salazar. That's coming out in March. A new Betsy Braddock Captain Britain book by Teeny Howard and Erica Durso. And uh. Velasco Jovi, apologize if I butchered the name. And then the one that really caught me, like I say, I'm an old school 90s X-Men fan. Rogue and Gambit, number one, art by Carlos Gomez, and then written by Stephanie Phillips. Take my money now. I'm here for this. And that was pretty much like everything from New York that really stood out to us. So, Pad, hearing all this, I know you're the outsider looking in. Mm -hmm. Who do you think really won New York? Uh, everybody. It's hard to pick just one just because there there wasn't any one thing. There isn't one thing that sticks out going, oh, this was better than everything else. I think it was just an overall case of like everybody had a strong game and everybody contributed to make a very good New York Comic Con this year. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I think like I, I don't want to crown Mar- like Marvel had a great presentation the entire week and we thank them for, you know, all the information they were hooking us up with yes, yeah, fans. Like I say, there was so much like it reminded me about why the comics matter. More than the yeah. movies, in my opinion. Like I would say, it, comics rule everything. The DC panels, which we were told about, phenomenal information, too. I really think they came with a strong presence. Which is nice, just because the last couple of years that I've gone, it feels like the, the Marvel comics panels were much better than the DC ones. Mm-hmm. Like, the DC ones were there, but like there wasn't really anything like earth-shattering. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. But I think this year they really came with it, and we appreciated them sending us the press releases, you know, let us know about what was going on, too, with Warner Brothers at Home Entertainment and allowing us to come down and cover Mortal Kombat, too. I thought Warner Brothers really had a strong presence the entire weekend. I'm, I'm really going to say that. I thought I should say Warner Brothers Discovery. I got to be a real official official. I thought they did a phenomenal job. Can't put over fandom enough. I thought that they were super, super fan friendly with everything. Yeah. That whole party, if you weren't in attendance, I'm sorry. 
that was a highlight of con, and I hope they do that again next year because I definitely want to get back in there. Fandom is doing some big things. I know they've been acquiring some properties lately too. Yeah. We'll be talking about that a little later in the uh, months here, so definitely stay tuned about that. And uh, seriously, can't stress enough, I, I want to say the booth that won it for me was Comixology. I think for, for a fan presentation, they always had something new going on. The lines were definitely one that you could get in very easily to meet your creators, talk to them. They had a lot of the people that are on the Comixology line just come down. And like I say, Scott Snyder was there multiple times. Stephanie Phillips was there. Uh, Dan Panzen was there as well. And just the, the, the plethora of talent that they have on that line is just amazing. And I can't put it over enough. And I thought that they did such a stellar job too. Like I say, they were giving out a lot to fans that you weren't seeing anywhere else. It was just such a great time to be a fan of comics. And that's what we take away with. We are super thankful for everybody who gave us the press access for it. We appreciate you all. And we're definitely coming back next year. And we're coming back with a vengeance if we get that press badge. Just putting that out there. That being said, hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takeaways from New York Comic Con 2022? What panel stood out to you? Was there something that we missed that you want to talk about? What do you think about the Marvel announcements, the DC Comics ones, the Comixology? Let's talk about NYCC, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the user name at caption life you'll get a new episode from us every week so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out coming back for another segment on this edition of the odph podcast and it is penultimate time it is a big deal what happened this past week on uh, she-hulk attorney at law matt murdoch finally showed up and they decided to put the clip out like a day beforehand just to say to the fucks on the internet and yes you are a bunch of fucks hey he's coming shut the fuck up yeah, I I have to say, She-Hulk surprised me that they're doing that. Like, did you really need to give a reason to do this? Like, I would have just held on to this that show, clip as long as possible. Th- well, this show is very self-aware with how people's reaction to it is, you know, from the reviews to the people's online complaints. You know, the fact that we've had now at least two or three instances of the show of online negative feedback towards the She-Hulk. This show is very self-aware, and I love it. Yeah, I got to give them that credit. I mean, obviously, the show has been very polarizing among some fans. I think most people have been very accepting of it because it's not like everything we see. Mm-hmm. You know, they break the fourth wall. They've been doing it longer than Deadpool, so just yeah. keep that in mind yeah. when we're having these debates on social media, folks. Well, and I, and I know people are excited for Daredevil to show up, but last I checked, it wasn't Daredevil Attorney at Law. It's She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Right, but the thing about it that they have, and I guess we'll just kind of go into the spoiler-free statement. If you're new to the ODPH, we'd like to give a spoiler-free statement about the show, and then we'll give you a countdown if you have to duck out because you haven't seen spoiler or you don't want to be spoiled, and Obviously, we go deep diving into episodes. We give you that fair warning if you need to duck out. That said, spoiler-free time. The fact that this show with Tatiana Maslany playing the title role Mm -hmm. has really been on a different level. And when it was teased that Daredevil was coming to the show, everybody got super excited. Mm -hmm. Because obviously when he made his cameo in Spider-Man No Way Home, 
everybody lost their mind. The Netflix universe isn't dead! Yeah, so people were just completely marking yeah. out. <laughs> people were completely marking out about that. And... Take a fucking Valium, people. There, there's just such a fever pitch about this, which I, I understand as fans. But like, be excited. Yeah. But what we have to remember is, in this new era of comics coming to TV, most do follow veins of the stories that they come from mm-hmm. print-wise. Yep. She-Hulk borrows a lot from the Dan Slot run. Borrows sure. a lot from John Byrne. Sure. It is not meant to be what you saw on Netflix and obviously seeing Daredevil appear. We weren't sure what version we were going to see. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like you know, with the comics, there are certain characters who like to cross over with other characters a lot. And, and given the fact that, you know, Jennifer Walters and Matt Murdock are both lawyers, ergo, you will see them cross over in the comics a lot. Hey, it's just a, it's part of the job and it's part of what they do. Mm-hmm. They don't cross over every single fucking week. Yeah, exactly. Or, or every month or whatever, you know, however frequent the issue may come out. You know, you don't go six straight months of She-Hulk comics with, you know, however many issues of Matt Murdock showing up in every single issue. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, so it is something that fans need to recognize. And I know that everybody is super excited about the, the Daredevil cameo that was teased from before the series aired. We finally got it because Marvel, like you touched upon, released a clip out a day before. Mm-hmm. So everybody was going to tune in. And I know they wanted to silence the uh, uh, naysayers. Yeah, I guess that's a nice way to put it. That were freaking out because Daredevil hadn't appeared there yet. It's only got two episodes left. Why hasn't Daredevil showed up yet? It's fucking She-Hulk, not Daredevil. Exactly. And if you've been watching the show, you knew he was coming at some point. They teased it enough. So we finally got that episode. That said, you want to just go right into spoilers? Yeah, sure. All right, so in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think? thought it was a good episode. You know, finally got to see Daredevil, you know, which was exciting to see. I know some people are pissed because that's not my Daredevil. My Daredevil is super serious and brooding and evil. You know, but fuck you. You know, I thought it was a great episode. I thought it was fun. I'll say this, uh, you know... Oh, God, the guy, actor who plays him. I'm blanking on Charlie him. Cox. Thank you. Charlie Cox and Tatiana Maslany have great chemistry together on screen. Oh, my God, yeah. Like a freakishly good amount of chemistry on screen together. You know, it, it, so I would like to see them in in things more together just because it's they, they, they pair really well together. You know, but the episode was, was really interesting. And to see where they go next week, because they have released a clip. I won't give spoilers of what it is. They You don't really get the clip. There's a clip online. Yeah, you I, I've been ducking it because I don't want to see it. Well, you don't get much from it. it it's one of those clips of like, okay, given how the story has been going, you see, you're like, okay, I kind of saw this coming. You know, to see where they go with this, it's going to be very interesting. Forget Daredevil. We got Leapfrog. <laughs> I know Mike we got jet fuel. I know Mike and Zach from the Multiverse of Badness marked out and they deserve their flowers because they have been campaigning for Leapfrog to make an appearance in the MCU. Salute to you guys. And by the way, if you're not following their podcast, you need to because it is one of the most badass podcasts you're gonna listen to at any given time. Uh, I'm just gonna say Marvel or Twitter or whoever's involved involved with creating the emojis next to the hashtags, missed opportunity to not make one for him. Oh, it's coming. There's no way. I know those those guys will be campaigning for that, and we are going to co-sign on that. Because this episode kicks off with Jennifer Walters having to represent the one and only Leapfrog, who, mm-hmm. who we're not sure exactly. Is, is he trying to be a vigilante? Is he trying to be part of the, the crime spree? Because as he tries um, 
acquiring uh, the funds from two robbers, as it appears. Well, I think it's not even trying to acquire the funds. I think it's just he's trying, you know, he's trying to take advantage of the whole superhero thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's the popular avenue of work, I guess you could say. You know, a lot of people are jumping in on it. You know, it's like YouTube in the early mid 2000s. You know, he's trying the whole thing. He's going to stop a robber. He shows up and he's got I don't even want to I don't, I don't even want to say a modest amount of, you know, uh, martial arts skills. It's like, you know, beginner's level of martial mm-hmm. arts skill. He can do some kicks and he can try to do a flip. It's not very successful, you know, but he tries to stop these two robbers who basically like he does these shitty karate moves or martial arts moves. And they basically look at the guy and like, who the fuck are you? It reminds me of that old Nas commercial. You see the guy doing all the karate flips, whatever, and then he runs at the guy, and then he gets knocked out. It's kind of like that vibe, which, I mean, Brendan Staley, who played Leapfrog, hammed he did, it. He did a great job. Hammed it up, man. Kudos to you. And, yeah, he only gets stopped because his suit, uh, the boots don't work. Well, he, well, so he's getting his ass kicked, and he's like, Tact-, and I think at one point he even yelled tactical retreat because yeah. he's laying on the ground on his back, and he goes, tactical retreat. So he presses this button on his suit that activates these jet boosters on his around his ankles, and he goes sliding off backwards, and he takes off into the air a little bit, and then he catches fire and crashes to earth. Yes, it is one of the most epic scenes ever. I was dying laughing when this happened because... It's just so over the top. I mean, then again, so is the villain of Leapfrog. Like, yeah. Or Frogman, however you want to find him. My God, did they pull that off, though. It's not even a B-list hero. It's like C or D. Oh, it's on that bottom shelf of bottom shelves, man. But there's just something about those old school Daredevil Spider-Man villains from the 70s. It's like if you call a hotline, like you need a superhero. Oh, hey, I need, I need some help from a superhero. And like he shows up. It's like, really? Can we get anybody else? Like Squirrel Girl? Like even Batrock the Leaper? Like, can we get anybody? I was hoping we got Stiltman. That was the only oh thing. I'm, I'm so pissed we haven't gotten him yet. Like, that is that is my all-time, like, D-list of D-list. There'll, there'll be a reference at some point. It's got to be. But then he decides to take the maker of said suit, who we find out is Luke Jacobson, played by yeah. Griffin Matthews, the tailor of She-Hulk, to court for faulty equipment. Well, and so because he's a quote-unquote superhero, he goes to Jennifer Walters' uh, law offices because they have a superhero division. I'm willing to bet they're probably one of the only ones in Los Angeles who have a superhero division. Facts, I'll give you that. They haven't said, but I, you know, he's, it's pretty easy to draw conclusions here. You know, and he wants to and he wants her to represent him because she's the head of the superhero division. And hey, I'm a superhero. You should represent me. And she's like, this is awful. Why would I do this? And I think it's even, and I forget what exactly said, so I'm paraphrasing here, but her boss essentially tells you, tells her like, hey, his parents are are wealthy benefactors of this law office. You have to take this case. Yeah. And she's trying to get out of it anyway, conflict of interest because the tailor. Well, yeah, because she finds out who the tailor is and and the tailor, Luke Jacobson, is in the process of making her gala dress for this L.A. Uh, lawyer award ceremony that's coming up at like the end of the week or mm-hmm. on Saturday or whatever it is. And she's like, if I piss him off, she he's not going to want to do anything for me ever again. Yeah. So she goes in there trying to convince him, hey, listen, I, I realize you're trying to do this for me, but like I, I got this commitment thing that I'm, I'm legally required to do. And, you know, can we settle this? Like she's trying to find the easiest way to not involve court or judges or juries or anything else and he's basically goes you disrespected me dishonor on you dishonor on your whole family i'm not making your dress no more yes so obviously it's such a conflict of interest we go to court and we find out that jacobson has acquired the services of one matt murdoch Mm -hmm. played by charlie cox who comes in 
ever so charming. Yeah, cool. Because at first it seems like he's going to represent himself. Yes. And even Jennifer Walters brings this up. He goes, oh, this idiot's going to represent himself. We got this in the bag. This is going to be easy. And he looks at her and goes, of course I'm not representing myself. What am I, an idiot? Mm-hmm. So they wind up going through the court procedures as as Murdoch comes in there and she's like, what's going well, on? The court procedure. Yeah. <laughs> There's not one the plural procedures, plural, no. Because in said case, it was revealed that Leapfrog basically says he misread the instructions on the suit and used jet fuel. Well, and they're going back and forth about this thing, and we learn one important bit of information, a little tidbit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe at at large. Mm-hmm. The Sokovia Accords have been repealed. Yes. Which yeah. had not, to this point, we had not known. It's kind of like they've just been forgotten by the wayside. We have learned that the Sokovia Accords have been repealed, so now superheroes and heroines can act with more anonymity. Yes. It's a wild thing that they threw in, but it was very quick, but yeah. great catch on that, Pat. Yeah. Because... When this happens, obviously, he's now made himself guilty. Jacobson is cleared of all charges. Jennifer Walters doesn't have a tailor. Later, though, she does get a phone call mm-hmm. from a very paranoid and distressed distressed leapfrog yeah. who is screaming that somebody is after him and she need, he needs her help. And she's like, I'm being Whoa. chased. And didn't he, did he call his car the Ribbit Mobile? Or am I making, yes, he did. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was making that up in my head. Well, we forgot to even mention he has the most badass catchphrase, Rip It and Rip It. Oh, title of the episode. Yeah. So they, Jennifer Walters goes to help him in She-Hulk form and does see that his car is completely speeding out of control. She makes a quick save. An assailant goes off the top of the car. And lo and behold, in the classic costume from his origins, mm-hmm. we have Daredevil. Yep. In full yellow and red. Mostly red. Regala, yeah. And there is some great banter back and forth. Yeah. And during this whole spiel, there is one thing that stood out. This is not going to be a brooding Daredevil. Nope. By any stretch of the imagination. Charlie Cox knows how to smile. He knows how to smile, and this is a credit to his acting ability because he could have gone back into Netflix mode, which they did play the music. They did. We need to remember they did play the old school music. They did. He switched the character persona to, in the comics, the easiest way to describe it is it's the Mark Wade and Chris Samney run. Sure. I am Fucking here for it. And I know this was pissing people off that he wasn't the dark, brooding, serious Netflix character. Give it a fucking chance. You might end up liking this. Fly, f- variety is the spice of life, folks. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, as much as I enjoyed the Daredevil show and I love the Daredevil show, I like this rendition of it just because not everything has to be, you know, 60 minutes of brooding, serious, woe is me with, with Nirvana playing in the background. Yeah. You know, this this was nice to see. I like to see him crack a smile and, and show some, you know, color in his life. This is something that in the comics we don't see that often, but when it's done, it's, it's sure. well. Because we have to remember, like, when he first started out in the Stan Lee days. Sure. He was more charming, swashbuckling. Sure. You know, I don't want to say happy-go-lucky, but like, let's be honest. It wasn't as dark and brooding as it's been. Now, mm-hmm. when Frank Miller took the book over, I really think it hits its, sure. its grit turn. And there's nothing wrong with it. The grit turn was nothing absolutely bad. Sure. But I think that you have to write Daredevil one of two ways. Either you make him dark and brooding or you make him a swashbuckler. Seeing this incarnation on screen, I thought was refreshing. Yeah. I was super excited about. Oh, me too. Because there are some great stories to be had, and it takes nothing away from him as a character. Right. And and that's one of the things I think with this rendition is 
as of yet, we don't know. Obviously, he's an established hero. He's got the suit. He's he's, he's not exactly fumbling with his powers or his abilities, mm-hmm. you know. But what he's been doing up to this point, we don't know. I would right. I would presume it might have. There might have been some major, you know, semi-major incidents, but nothing of the level that's like. Holy shit, half of New York is in danger. Yeah. You know, so presumably it's just kind of been some low level stuff, some organized crime back in New York, but it's nothing crazy. So you think about it, he's gone from just like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, the devil of Hell's Kitchen. I'm stopping some crime. I'm breaking up some crime families, you know, and some crime syndicates back in New York, too. I'm representing Spider Man mm-hmm. in, in quite possibly the biggest court case in, in U.S. court history. Right. And then I'm also going to represent, so that was in, you know, and then six months or more later, because we time we don't know how much time has passed between No Way Home and this, No mm-hmm. Way Home in the fall, this, you know, probably the spring, maybe it's even sooner. I don't know. But so he goes from representing Spider-Man to representing a fashion designer for the superheroes and then fighting another version of the Hulk. Yes. So he goes from mid-level, even low-level, you know, crime fighting to... I'm dealing with Avengers. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting play that he does, but like we see when he goes and meets up with Jennifer in the bar beforehand, mm-hmm. and they kind of have that repertoire before. Like you know, this is going to be a different Charlie Cox yep. Daredevil than you've seen. Yep, and it's it's great. It's it works, and the, like you, you touched upon the chemistry they have is phenomenal. Oh, it's incredible. Oh my god, yeah. Like I need to see more of this. Like I'm not. I'm and I hope that She Hulk does a crossover in Born Again. I really do. I could see it, but I think where they really just kind of stride is. You do have the lawyer persona, and they're going back and forth, and you can definitely feel the realness there. Oh, yeah. Now that they're both in their superhero persona, we find out that Leapfrog has kidnapped Jacobson, and they... Well, we've, yeah, we find out that uh, She-Hulk wasn't given the uh, entire story. Right, so they have to go make the play to rescue him from you know the, the pad. Mm-hmm, the lily pad. Oh, my God. Which his hideout, his lair, quote-unquote, has it in giant fucking neon uh, a giant fucking neon sign on top of a warehouse. I'm not going to lie. I had Batman Forever vibes. Like Jim yeah. Carrey, Riddler, yeah. I swear I was yeah. like, oh, my God, like, yeah. are we going this route? Yeah, because like we said, we find out, you know, Jennifer Walters is like, oh, yeah, no, hey, why are you chasing my my uh, my client? Why are you hunting him down? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm hunting him down because he kidnapped my client. Wait, really? He didn't tell me this? Well, of course he didn't tell yeah. you this. Yeah, so the plan, and they they work out their thing, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to be stealth and break in. She's <laughs> it's like, going to take me 15 minutes to get through this. Yeah, and she's, and she's like, like, I can just smash through. Yeah, so the the back and forth between them was fantastic. How he drops in, though. Hallway. I, I literally said he dropped into a hallway. I was watching the episode, and I set up. I did I did the Leonardo DiCaprio point, pointing, yep. pointing to the screen, and I went, hallway scene, hallway scene, hallway scene. Same. I did the same thing. I'm like, oh, we're going hallway. We're going hallway. Oh, that's such, an, that's such a Netflix staple. Oh, it is. Oh, my God, it is. It, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too, but God bless it. And you see Daredevil go back into full fighting mode. It's a great scene. So if anybody was worried about this new Daredevil not being able to kick some ass. Only thing I didn't like is it wasn't one continuous shot. My only drawback with yeah, that. Yeah, you know, but I was But that's all right. But it was still amazing. But you know what? If they did that, I think it would have taken away too much. Maybe. Like, that's the only reason I think, because Maybe. you don't want to overshadow She-Hulk. Sure. When she makes her dramatic entrance sure. and comes in and they wind up saving the day and obviously beating Leapfrog. And then they wind up freeing Jacobson, who is now going to become her tailor again. Well, and, and, and this is all with Leapfrog going to Jennifer and going, what are you doing? You're supposed to be representing me. And she's like, listen, dumbass. Yeah. Here's what you're going to do. And she lays out this whole uh, series of you know X, Y, and Z he's got to do. And she's like, because otherwise he's going to sue your ass and you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great play on. And then they leave. And I guess I'll just remember. I love the one bit, though, where Dar- she's telling uh, Leapfrog this. 
and all the while Daredevil's fighting in the background. He's giving legal advice, and she, <laughs> he, he, Leapfrog goes, "What is this guy? A lawyer?" And yeah. he goes, "I watch a lot of crime dramas." Yeah, oh, it was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> I, I forgot about that part, but yeah, you're right. It was perfect. But that goes into the humor that you see. And like I say, Daredevil can pull this off. He doesn't quip as much as Spider-Man, but he's no. still, but when he throws them in, they're good. And then they're sitting on top of the roof, and then basically Jennifer Walters is back in the Jennifer Walters form, talking mm-hmm. with Matt Murdock, and yep. she's basically like, the chemistry has been there since the beginning, and she's saying, like, how soon do you have to get back to yeah. New York? They wind up hooking up. Uh-huh. He does the walk of shame the next morning. In costume. In costume, which is hysterical. Yeah. I'm sorry. I w- I, maybe I, they did it and I just missed it. I would have loved to see it like out of the corner of the screen, like through a wind, like through the blinds on the window. Mm-hmm. That would have been funny. Yeah, but I mean, it goes to Daredevil's motif, man. He is, he is, uh, I believe, the popular term, a himbo yeah. at heart. Yeah. Uh, I, I know online has been running with that. So listen, it is what it is. He, he is a Lothario, if you will. But... I digress. We go back to the story. Jennifer Walters is now getting ready to win an award for Lawyer of the Year. Well, so her friend, her female lawyer, of the so year, her like, her friend shows up. You know, the the coworker, and she's like, "Hey, we got to do your hair. We got to get ready." And Jennifer looks at the screen, going, "Well, wait. Why is this episode still going? You know that we we reached a satisfying conclusion for the story for the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, unless wait a minute, this is the second to last episode. Mm-hmm. We're doing the whole second to last episode thing where where it's the plot twist at the end." Oh, we're doing the gala right now. Yeah. And then she goes to the gala. Yeah, she goes to the gala. And then when this happens, it should be a happy moment. The family is there. She's accepting the award. She's giving a good speech, surrounded by her fellow female colleagues. Yep. And then all of a sudden, behind this video wall, you see Intelligica mm-hmm. make an appearance. And they... Yeah. And they're trying to embarrass her completely because... Oh, yeah. With Josh, the uh, boyfriend that she was with... Uh, tape them doing some things. Yeah. They're now showing it completely on oh, the screen. Yeah. And she goes into Hulk rage. Well, yeah, and this is with her uh, co-worker, the, the other lawyer uh, from the office, looks at her and says, Jen, don't. But then she punches the screen, destroying it, all the while everyone's running out of the building. And she exits the building to an armed SWAT team with la- uh, automatic rifles and with laser sights all pointed at her. And she puts her hand up and just goes, oh, yeah. Did you recognize who that group was? No. The speculation is it's damage control from Miss Marvel. Ooh. I could see it. And that's how the episode ends. Could, I could see because well, damage control was in the uh, first part of the seat or no. No, they weren't. What the hell were what the hell were they in though? They were they're in Miss Marvel. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, the yeah, ones, yeah, they were yeah. Chasing Kamala Khan. I was trying to remember was that I was I was confusing. I, I wanted to say no way home or far from no way home, but no, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Miss Marvel. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're looking for Kamala. So that being said, that's an interesting tie-in if that's true. I did not recognize it, but I was getting hit up on social media saying, that's damage control. I'm going, wait a sec. Like that's, that's kind of a weird connection here. But now going into the final episode, mm-hmm. all bets are off, really. Yeah. Because I think the only thing I think we'll, we'll know for sure is we'll find out who the leader is of Intelligica. Mm-hmm. I think I might just tipped it off with the name of it because I'm I'm going with what Ron said from Three FN. I think it's the leader. I think Could be. I think this is going to tie into New World Order. Could be. I'm not sure how, mm-hmm. but I think that this is how it's going to play in because with that group involved, I don't think this is going to be one and done. No. I think that maybe we'll get lucky and we'll hear about an announcement of season two. Get some point. Get mentioned. 
I know that it's been teased about Moon Knight. Uh, Oscar Isaac at New York Comic Con did, I guess, tease something about that. So I'm not doubting that the next wave of shows, which we have to remember, this is the third one of that group that came out, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk, getting picked up for season twos. I'm not doubting that we hear something come out of this, but I think for what we're expecting from She-Hulk, I think we're going to have a solid ending. I just don't know where we're going. Yeah, no, there's going to be... I, I Obviously, we're going to try the whole intelligentsia and tell whatever it is. You know, we're going to have to figure out who's behind all that and, and figure out that. So I think they might get shut down, quote-unquote, for for this portion of the season, whether they make a comeback or not, you know, we'll see. But in terms of, you know, we're, we're, we're at the season finale. We still don't know who the big bad is. So that would lead me to believe we'll, we'll obviously find out in the, in the next episode, the final episode of the season, but that leads me to believe we this will come back for a second season at some point. I do agree too. I don't have a timetable on, obviously there's been some shuffling of the deck of Marvel's film slate. So, which we'll get to later. We'll get to that later, but there's a lot going on with Marvel. But the only thing we can really say is this episode hit on all, yeah. all cylinders. Great episode. Love seeing the Mark Wade version of Daredevil come in. And if you're not familiar with it, seriously, get on Marvel Unlimited. Go to your comic shops. Go pick up the trade paperback. It's well worth it. It's one of the best Daredevil runs you'll read, period. And we can have that discussion online. I know one certain Daredevil fan that is listening that maybe, just maybe, we're going to have to get on to talk some Daredevil comics with. So, Sean from The Caption Life will be talking very, very shortly about that. In the meantime, though, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about this latest episode of She-Hulk entitled Rip It and Rip It? Oh, my God. What a what a name for it. Like, I can't even say it without laughing. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. What do you think your spoilers are going into the finale? And let's talk about it. We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think... Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shilled for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And man, oh man, oh man, do we have to recap House of the Dragons, the spinoff of Game of Thrones. <laughs> wow, this Holy this episode fuck. that aired on HBO Max uh, got the buzz of the internet going. Uh-huh. I agree with Julio from the Contrarians podcast. You definitely got to go check them out. I think this might have been the best episode of the season thus far. Thus far, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that happened in episode 8 entitled Lord of the Tides. Pad, spoiler-free statement... I don't know how I avoided spoilers for this simply because due to a series of circumstances called life, I was not able to watch this episode when it aired or dropped on HBO Max on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, it's on me. Just life got in the way. I was not able to do it, was not able to do it, you know, Monday or Tuesday. And so, I, you know, I had to watch it the day we recorded because I'm like, well, we're going to talk about it. So I got to watch it. 
I and given what happens in this episode, you know, I don't know how I made it to this point without seeing any spoilers because there's some big stuff that happens in this episode. There, there's some major uh, chess pieces, I guess you could say, that, that got moved around on the on the uh, old chessboard. How I made it to this day without getting spoiled, I have no fucking clue. I don't have no. I didn't go my full like. Oh, I'm gonna mute hashtags on Twitter, right, 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 like, like I do for Marvel movies or Star Wars movies. I don't have anything muted. I did. I didn't see anything in the. Co- I went into comments on some stuff. I didn't see you know anything spoiled in the comments. No YouTube videos spoiled it for me. I don't know how I made it to this point, but holy fuck, this was awesome. This was incredible. This was. They could have ended the season on this, and I've been perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, as I say once and I'll say again, Matt Smith is the best character on the show. Yeah. At me at ODPH podcast. I will debate you all day about this. He made this episode with one very, very big moment. But I thought that the acting really drove home the point. The only thing that I don't like about it is we do too many time jumps. Yeah. I thought we were done with that. I did too. Like, I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to really dabble with that timeline, Space them out. Like, mm-hmm. take a week off. Like, I hate... we've done, what, one? We've done at least four in the first, you yeah. know, eight episodes. Yeah, exactly. Like, I understand that you're on a borrowed time, so to speak. You, I know the series isn't going past three, Not if it well, makes it that far. Well, according to George R. R. Martin, he says they're going to need to do at least four seasons of ten episodes apiece to get the story done. Really? George R. R. Martin. Now, this isn't confirming this is what they're going to do, but he says if they want to do the story justice, they're going to need... George R. R. Martin himself said, and I think they're going to listen to him because given how the fact the last fucking series went... <laughs> enough said enough said George R. R. Martin has said that they're going to need to do at least four seasons of 10 episodes apiece to tell the full story well you know what I'm okay with it as long as the quality is like this episode I have no problem with this I think this is the best one they've done thus far oh yeah hands down spoiler free talk is done so Pat let's get into it three two one talk to me like I said, outside of you know the, another time jump, just because and in having watched it on HBO Max a couple of days later, you know, and I watched the full behind the scenes thing, I understand why they did it. You know, they did the time jump. They you know one of the producers said that, you know just to get uh, Rhaenyra's kids up to the age they needed to be, which I'm like okay, fine, whatever. But like the fact that we've had now at least four, and I could be wrong, so hashtag ODPHPod if I'm wrong. But the fact that we've had at least four of these in in the first eight episodes is, you know, a few too many, in my opinion. Uh, so outside of the time jump, you know, it was a phenomenal episode that like you're, it, it, it felt like, you know, it's the it felt like a powder keg in a room full of gunpowder with the fuse lit and the fuses creeping ever closer to that powder keg. And we were just waiting for it to blow. And it felt like it finally did in this episode. Off, 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 off with your head. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that moment, which we will discuss, really put an exclamation point on this episode. But I agree with you. I think the time jumps are the only thing that are driving me nuts right now. Mm-hmm. Because you start getting attached to characters, and you're really starting to see how everything plays out. And I understand they're trying to cover a lot of ground. I get that. Yep. But I think they can go an easier route to do that. It's just it sometimes gets a little confusing about who everybody is at these stages when they do the jumps. Because where we go with this episode... It's now six years since the last jump. Yep. No, since the last episode. Or since the last episodes. So things have been moving somewhat quickly. We do know that Corliss Verlon uh, got into a little bit of trouble. Yeah. That obviously the Lord of Driftmark is very, very hurt from uh, fighting. And his brother there is really trying to get 
the future of the family taken care of. Mm-hmm. So Sir Vermont is trying to get King's Landing to just name the heir to the throne and make it Rhaenyra's kid. And obviously, there's just a lot that's going on. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's just messy to say. Yeah, but. We do start getting into a lot of the behind the scenes of what's going on here with the family that Renera and Damon, well, they're still doing Renera and Damon things. Yeah. It's getting real weird. Yeah, it's getting real weird, but you know, like we've accepted it. Well, I've had reasons. reasons. So I I've kind of been okay with it since then. But like anytime you start dealing with this family and what they're doing, and like I say, Emma Darcy and, and Matt Smith. It's messy. It, it, it's, it gets real messy. It just, it does. And there's no way to duck around it. It just is what it is. But their family is really trying to keep the house together because the king is not doing well. It's looking even worse than he did last time. I will say this. I know I've been critical on this show about the writing for King Varys, who's played by Patty Constantine. I thought this was his best episode by far. Oh, easily. By far and away, I thought the... Give him an Emmy nomination. The makeup job they did for him. Phantom of the Opera vibes. Jesus Christ, man. Like, I I know I made the joke last week that he looked like the Crypt Keeper. Mm-hmm. Christ, he looked even more like the Crypt Keeper this week, but then you mix the Crypt Keeper with the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And I'm like, talking the actual Phantom. Yeah, they do some real crazy stuff with him in this... And he is just looking decrepit as all hell. I can't help but wonder if maybe they consulted, because this is the first name that comes to mind when you want somebody to look real creepy and gross. I can't help but wonder if they maybe didn't give Greg Nicotero a call and go, hey, we want to do this. What do you think we should do? Well, it makes you wonder a little bit. Yeah. It does. Because, like I say, when everybody's trying to petition about, you know, King's Landing and who's going to be the heir, and like I said, Sir Vermont wants to be the heir. I'm sorry. I think I might have missed miss that a little earlier. Because when the argument is about Rhaenyra's kids. Mm-hmm. Not being legitimate. Because this is still a thing. This is still happening. Yeah. The king is sitting there basically trying to oversee everything going on. But right. obviously he's out of commission. And failing health. He is like one sneeze away from keeling over. Yeah. Even though like his powers are taken away from him yeah. by Queen Alicent and the hand of the king, Sir Hightower. Well, it's like every time he coughs, he gets hauled out of the room. Yeah, which, I mean, he should be at this stage. Like, half his face has fallen off. Yeah. He has to wear that Phantom of the Opera mask you're talking about yep. when he's out in public. Yep. Alicent, who Olivia Cook has really stepped her game up for this, has been playing the the fake supportive wife, meanwhile, scheming behind the scenes to the letter. She has been phenomenal in this. And as she's taking over the house... She is really trying to make sure that Renera is not going to be involved. Like some way, somehow, this is just not happening, even though her kids are a bunch of screw-ups. Uh, Prince Egon mm-hmm. uh, assaults uh, one of the maidens in the house. Yeah. You know, so he's a pretty much a fucking scumbag. Yeah, and then the mother, and so Allison confronts him about this, and, you know, he's laying in bed half naked, you know, covered with the covers over, and she confronts him about this. He's asleep, and he's like, well, what, what did I do? And she's like, you fucking knew what you did. You're, you're bringing disrespect on you, and you're making you and your wife look bad. Oh, whatever, you know, it was just a bit of fun. She shouldn't have gone running anyway. It's like he couldn't give any last fucks. Yeah, her kids are just the worst. Yeah. Like, legitimately. Like, yeah. they just suck. Yeah, they do. Like, there, there's no redeeming factor. It's like Joffrey has just spawned into, like, three kids, and they're all Allison's. Yeah. Just literally. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's no redeeming factor of all of them. They all fucking suck. And they're she's trying to make sure that they become the royal family of the kingdom. And it's basically like, no. <laughs> no, they're not. 
So Rhaenyra is trying to balance this out because what she wants to do is she is trying to work some arranged marriages. Mm-hmm. And this is just not working under any circumstance. And when she's trying to go to Princess Renee's to get her support, it's not happening. Like, they're all basically like, no, this is not what we signed up for because when you are sitting there basically trying to say, you know, my family was not welcome here and you were out there doing whatever you're doing, this is supposed to be your way that makes everything up. And it's not happening Mm -hmm. under any circumstance. Like I say, it's just kind of crazy to see this, that we now have all of this happening. Yeah. That and Rhaenyra just kind of knows that she's losing her grip on the house. Well, and you gotta you gotta remember too because it's only been eight episodes, so it's been you know like two months for us in the in show timeline. You know we've now jumped if if memory serves at least sixteen years. Mm-hmm. You know since the initial plan and the initial decision was made. You know, by King Viserys, that Rainier is going to be the heir. Mm-hmm. So this is this has been you know the proverbial sixteen-year waiting game of mm-hmm. of the cogs to start moving, mm-hmm. and and now that you know Viserys is on death's doorbed, that like once they mention give him milk of the poppy, I'm like, oh, he ain't long for this world because that's the thing with the Game of Thrones universe. Once they start mentioning milk of the poppy, you're not long for this world. You're basically on borrowed time. You know, so the pieces have started moving and and it's all coming to a head that like you can plan for the end and you can have all these plans for the future, but you really don't have any plans until they actually start coming to you. Yeah. So it's one of those situations that now she's scrambling as much as she can. The marriage pro- pro- proposal is kind of out the window because yeah. everybody's fighting that. Yeah. They're now having a meeting of the minds between all the families involved. So obviously since Corliss is off the table. You see his brother is there trying to defend the house's name. Right, because he's like, I'm more of a brother and more of a blood relative than she is. Yeah, and just really digging into it. And he is not pulling his punches, too, because he is just... Phenomenal performance. Oh, my God, man. He absolutely stepped his game up and then some for this. I can't stress this enough. Well, like, especially when when he gets up there and and you know eventually it's like some. I think the hand of the king is the one overseeing things, but then Viserys shows up, you know, and everyone's like, "Holy shit, he's here!" and and he uses like every ounce of strength he he has to get up there, and he's like, "Hey, listen, cut the shit. These are these are my grandkids. They are who I say they are, you know." And and my and Rainier is the rightful heir, and blah blah blah, you know, whatever else, and and he just looks at him and goes, "Listen." You run your house how you see fit, and I'm paraphrasing, keep your fucking paws off my house. Yeah. He 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 just goes completely all in about this. And I love the fact that he was just like, I don't care. Uh-huh. Fuck. He's like, fuck your life. Yeah. Get out of my house. Exactly. Cause he's just basically said, like, you are doing nothing to help me and what I'm doing here. Will Johnson absolutely crushed it this episode. And really brought all the intensity to the court because he is basically saying, look, they look nothing like our family. Mm-hmm. Rhaenyra's kids are all bastards. Yeah. And then he well, doesn't stop there. Well, he, yeah, he goes, and the actor even brought this up after the thing. He's like, listen, it's the it's the pink elephant in the room mm-hmm. that like they look nothing like their father. You know, and, and he goes, listen, these kids are, and he pauses. And Damon, Matt Smith, looks at him and just says, say it. And he goes, bastards. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and furthermore, she's a whore. And, the, and the, you know, you can hear the pin drop in the room. 
And so then you, you just the camera goes in front of him, and you just see a sword come out of the corner, slice his head in half, to where it's all you all you see of the upper part of his head is his tongue. Or no, sorry, jumping ahead of myself. Viserys gets up and gets pissy, mm-hmm. pulls the dagger out, and he goes, "I'll have your tongue for that." Cuts back to to Vaman, and then he gets his head sliced in half, and you just see Damon standing behind him, and he goes, "He can keep his tongue." The body drops to the floor, and the, the guards start freaking out. Sees his weapon, and the Damon just goes, "It's all right. I'm dropping my weapon." No, you got that wrong because he goes, "It's Morbin time." Oh Jesus! Christ. And he went in. I will say this: so Will Johnson after the show had the funniest explanation for that he's like yeah matt smith might have got me but you know my back was turned <laughs> he did say like that. that was like i was like man that was awesome but you're right though damien is not having any of this nonsense well it's like he started talking this shit and he and he called the kids a bastard and i'm like all right well you're at least losing a limb mm-hmm. and then he called you know uh, rhaenyra a whore and i'm like well that man's dead yeah it's like he, he just signed his death warrant and, signed sealed delivered yeah because you know i mean damien just does not give zero fucks about anything and he just took hands in his own case and then they're going out to celebrate after because basically any challenge to the throne was just killed off right there. Mm-hmm. That nobody's coming back. Like I said, Princess Rhaenyra's her support doesn't really mean a damn thing. Obviously, since Corlys is off the table, that's gone. Vermont is go- definitely off the table now. So the chess pieces are getting removed, and then you have the final dinner where the Hatfields and McCoys of the Game of Thrones universe are now sitting there. Allison's kids with Rhaenyra's kids, and you can feel that tension. Oh, yeah. Simmering oh, the entire yeah. time. Oh, yeah. And Varys is like, everybody give each other a toast. Like, welcome your family here. Because it's been six years since they've all seen each other. Yeah. And um, old wounds die hard. Well, and especially earlier in the episode, you know, when Alicent first meets Rhaenyra and Damon after it's been six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alicent even brings this up. She's like, oh, it's so nice. Like, she even said, and Christ, I could feel the temperature drop in my apartment, you know. Allison goes and, I, and I'm paraphrasing. She goes, "Oh, you know, it's so nice of you to grace your presence from uh, with uh, grace your presence with us after so long." Yeah, and it's like, "Well, fuck it." And then Matt Smith, not missing an opportunity to drop the temperature even further, goes, "Yeah, nice of you to give us a welcome for us gracing your presence." Yeah, they immediately start digging in once Ver- Viscerus leaves because, well, he's too sick to stay there because yeah. his face has fallen off and yeah. he's just he's dying like. To see him struggle to get to the throne was something. Yeah. And obviously you knew he was on borrowed time. The fact that he held on this long, I was actually pretty surprised. It's a, it's a It's a weird thing, but he did. But the minute he leaves, Amond, one of Allison's kids, does the Seth Rollins to Matt Riddle. He does the John Jones to Daniel Cormier. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, he's gone? Yeah. He, Fuck he, your life. He basically says that to uh, the wife of the one, and he's like. Fuck your kids. Yep. He just goes in and just starts giving some insults, and it just kind of boils over. And then a fight breaks out well, between. So he everybody. even punches a couple of the kids. Yeah, he does. Like it, it turns into this real family feud, like in real life. It's it's wild scene happening. But this whole episode has been building for it. And yeah, oh yeah. You, you know this family is going to be fighting the entire time. Until, oh yeah. Until everything just kind of shifts to Viserys on his literal deathbed, mm-hmm. and he's talking about the dream of Aegon the Conqueror. Yep. Which. Alicent is sitting and hearing this, and she's thinking, well, they're talking about her kid. Right, and they brought up after the episode that, um, what is it, Viserys thought he was talking to Rhaenyra. Yeah. Not 
Alice. He didn't know Allison was in the room. He thought it was Rhaenyra. Exactly. So because Rhaenyra has, and that's the point they made after the episode that Rhaenyra's heard, you know, the song of uh, fire and ice. Mm-hmm. Allison's never heard it, so she has yeah. she has no clue whatever this is about. Yeah. So it's a situation like that that you're kind of going, okay, what are we doing here? So now the seed has been planted for the for the misdirect here, and then you see that Tyla mm-hmm. is overhearing everything. Oh yeah. And she is now telling Mysteris, who has the connection to Damon, well, of course. all this information. Meanwhile, the parting shot is a decrepit Viserys dying mm-hmm. right there. Fade to black. And in case, yes, he is dead because the preview, they outright say it like in the first 30, like not even first 30, first five seconds, the king is dead. Yeah. So they did a lot this episode. Yes, they did. Definitely did. Like I say, they timed the Game of Thrones and like the... You know, not the renaming of King's Landing, but the renaming of the air really became the driving point of this episode. Mm-hmm. And we can't say, I mean, Will Johnson's performance just stole the damn Masterful. It, you know, it did. Because he came in and just, when he came in, he came in with a purpose. He was in a losing battle no matter what you were going to have. Yeah. But it built up where Damon just took that whole family off the board in one foul swoop. And then you're building the tension between Allison and Rhaenyra. I mean, that's going to be the battle for this entire series. Oh, like, yeah. You know, moving forward. Oh, yeah. But... You know, give the devil his due. Patty Constantine uh, did his thing. Like I said, could not be, you know, say anything bad about his performance here. They finally gave him something to sink his teeth into because I have hated how he's been written on the show. But I, like I said, he has done a masterful job this episode. The makeup they did, Jesus. Yeah, he he should be. Yeah, Patty Constantine should easily get an Emmy nomination for this episode alone. Yeah. This episode was awesome. I think the other big one we're going to get going forward is between, uh, what is it, uh, Eamon and then also Damon. Yeah. I think that's going to be a big one going forward. Yeah, Damon is, he's probably before a fight. Like, that's the one thing yeah. he's in there. It's, it's Morbin time, and, you know, he is Jesus. ready to go. Jesus. On that note, though, let us know what you thought about the latest episode of House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones spinoff, entitled The Lord of the Tides. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna... Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first of which we alluded to in an earlier segment. Uh, that was the shake-up to the Marvel Studios film theater uh, film re- theatrical release schedule. Uh, this was announced just a couple of days ago. Uh, yesterday, actually, as we record, and I'm re- reading from the official article on Marvel.com. says, quote, uh, there have been a few changes across the multiverse for Phase 4 and 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a.k.a. the Multiverse Saga. But don't worry, new and exciting superheroes are still on their way to the big screen. Announced by the Walt Disney Company, the upcoming Marvel Studios films Blade, Untitled Deadpool Movie, Fantastic Four, and Avengers Secret Wars have all received slightly shifted schedule, uh, shifted release dates. Find all the new listed dates below. Uh, so Blade, previously dated November 3rd, 2023, has been moved to September 6th, 2024. The Untitled Deadpool movie, previously dated uh, September 6th, 2024, has been moved back to uh, November 8th of 2024. The Fantastic Four, previously dated November 8th, 2024, has been moved to uh, February 14th, 2025. And Avengers Secret Wars, previously dated November 7th, 2025, has been moved back to May 1st of 2026. 
feels weird to be talking about movies that are going to be coming out in four years. Uh, but those are the dates that we got. Uh, now, I know the, the Blade one is because the director left mm-hmm. the project. So they were getting ready to go into pre-production. Kind of hard to go into pre-production when you don't have a, a director. So I know that's the deal with that one. In terms of the rest of them, I really haven't heard anything. I mean, I know the Fantastic Four, they just got a director. You know, so I don't think it's anything necessarily like the sky's falling. It's just a domino effect. Like, hey, we got to move the one back. We got to move the other one back. Because you notice, you know, Blade took the spot of the Deadpool movie, you know, which, you know, and Deadpool took the spot of the Fantastic Four movie, you know, so it just seemed like a domino effect. Yeah, I'm not too mad about it. I mean, obviously, I'd rather him get it right the first time than we have in humans. Sure. Oh, God. So, like, oh, yeah. I, I can't be too mad about this. I mean, and obviously with the rumors, and we stress rumors about the script. I hope they're rewriting it if they're going to go into this whole mode about it. You can plug and play Blade in anywhere. Sure. Like, that's the thing about him. You don't need exactly a movie franchise. We've already had one with Wesley Snipes. Yeah. The fact we're doing a retelling with Mahersha Ali as a title character, like, do it right when you do it right the first time. And I understand that he could be frustrated. He's one of the hottest actors in Hollywood. He has a lot going on. So trying to do schedules could be a little tough. But listen, this is the MCU. Feige has not left us high and dry I don't think he's going to do that here. I'm just more happy, like, let's get it right the first time. And the one thing, too, we always forget is we're spoiled as MCU fans because, Mm -hmm. obviously, coming out of the pandemic, we had a year's worth of Disney Plus and then movies on top of it. It was oversaturation. So the fact that, like, (gasps) no movie people are, like, losing their shit about. And it's Mm -hmm. like, pump the brakes. We'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Relax. It'll be fine. Uh, then with uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, we got the penultimate episode this week or last week titled The Eye. Wasn't necessarily as crazy as the one prior, but still really good setting up for the season finale, which is going to be fucking bonkers. Uh, bonkers enough that they're releasing this thing at midnight Eastern. Not the typical midnight Pacific. Oh, not, not West Coast. No, they're dropping this thing at midnight Eastern. Interesting. And I would not be surprised. I have not heard anything, but I would not be surprised if they drop this thing at like 9 p.m. Eastern, you know, just to get the buzz really going for the entire, you know, night and day. You know, the, the uh, episode seven, the eye phenomenal episode, really setting things up for the season finale. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's two scenes in the se- uh, the final uh, couple of scenes in the episode that are really setting up for some major stuff that are going to be fucking nuts. It's been the show's been amazing thus far. I know they started season two uh, last week or over the weekend, you know, so super excited for that. But the, the show's been top notch and amazing. The one thing is, Pat has been championing this show since day one, so if you want to talk more about him, hit him up on Twitter. He will get into those conversations with you. Uh, I have fallen off on the show a little bit. Not that I'm disinterested, but I've had a lot going on. But everything I've heard, especially the past couple episodes, like everybody has been ranting and raving about. Oh, yeah, it's been phenomenal. It's some of the best television I've seen this year. So we'll definitely have to be talking about that when it comes up. Um, but, yeah, no, I definitely want to go back and check this out. Uh, like I say, Amazon Studios has been doing some really great stuff this, yeah. this run. So definitely excited to hear what the reaction is going to be. And definitely hit a pad on Twitter, too, at Meslin. He will definitely discuss this with you a little more in depth. Yeah, people have certainly, like you said, been tuning in because the uh, head of Amazon Studios, Jennifer Salky, did an interview with Variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Variety did bring up, uh, quote, one month in, how do you feel about the performance so far regarding to Rings of Power? Uh, she said, quote, we're cresting towards 100 million cu- customers having watched it. So it's a big number. We can't wait to get more um, info on how the audience all breaks down. We really anticipate with these last three episodes a huge turnout because it's all coming together and curiosity 
Andy is at a fever pitch. And these last few episodes are the strongest in the season because they're not just about the setup. They're excellent. Close quote. So listen, it's going to like just from what I've seen with the, the, the episodes themselves, it's going to be fucking nuts. Yeah. Definitely. Know, I don't want to be there for this. Yeah. And then lastly, certainly not leastly, big week at the comic shops for Star Wars. Got three uh, issues out this week. Oh, uh, talk to me, Pat. Yeah. So you've got Star Wars issue number 28. This from uh, Charles Soule. Uh, back on the main line, uh, which the description of this is the, the calculus of loss. The price of freedom is examined as the rebel alliance comes to understand the true scope of the threat against it. 3PO enters into aggressive negotiations and Luke Skywalker embarks on a desperate mission that will test his growing Jedi skills to the limit. I am showing Ken the cover art on this. Yo, that looks dope. Uh, Luke Skywalker's in Imperial uh, Officer's uniform. Who is the artist on that? Uh, the artist is, the cover artist is EM Just. Oh, dude, that looks phenomenal. Yeah. Holy uh, shit. It's really, it's really awesome. Also this week, uh, you've got Star Wars The High Republic issue number one. This is the same title, New Era, uh, because this is kicking off, I guess you could call it, fa- I think it's phase two. They're doing f- The High Republic, they're doing phases kind of like Marvel does. Uh, so this one written by Kevin Scott, uh, you've got the description of this is a new chapter begins for Star Wars, the High Republic 150 years before the fall of starlight. Another beacon burns bright in the galaxy, a beacon of faith and spirituality. Jeddah, the pilgrim moon, the Kyber heart, but tensions are rising in the Holy city and dark days are to come. Jedi Vilder Mac, a Jedi, a Jedi safe and secure in who he is and what he could be arrives at Jeddah's as Jeddah's fragile peace begins to crumble, but a nightmare awaits a nameless terror that will become the stuff of legend. Uh, so this is obviously the start to phase three, which is going to be kicking off with the books here. And I want to say it's maybe like the end of November, beginning of December, something like that, but super excited for this. The high Republic stuff has been some of the best storytelling they've done. Highly recommend you check that one out. And then lastly, certainly not leastly, Star Wars Visions 1, issue number 1, from uh, Takashi Okazaki, uh, which it reads, Takashi Okazaki from Afro Samurai is continuing his storytelling from the acclaimed Star Wars Visions episode, The Duel, featuring the Ronin. The the mythology of Star Wars infused with elements of feudal Japan make this issue a must-read for Star Wars and manga fans alike. I am showing Ken the cover art on this. How cool is that? Yo! This looks awesome. That looks incredible. Yeah. I mean, Visions, we always we were big fans of. I mean, for taking the Star Wars mythos and really going in a different direction with it, mm-hmm. I think they really hit the stride. Like, yeah. it's just something cool and something different. And I always like seeing that because we have already seen basically everything you can with Star Wars. Kind of, yeah. But when they do re-envisionings, like, I think it's very cool. It's much like with Mortal Kombat Legends. Yes. Like, that is an Elseworlds story, but not on that kind of level like you see here. But sure. like, there's some par- sure. some you know similar tones. But with what they're doing with Visions, I mean, for Marvel, Star Wars, I think that's super, super oh, cool. Oh, super awesome. So, for mine, I'm going to piggyback on the comic talk from Marvel this week. Daredevil number four is generating a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. So, it's Chip Zdarsky's uh, latest epic going on. Uh, some spoilers are out right now about it, so... I'm going to just say this. There's a big moment that happens. It's one that fans have been kind of sort of waiting for for a little while. I definitely want people to go out and read it and then interact on on ODPH Twitter. Like, sure. I have no problem talking about this. I don't want to ruin it because obviously it's the first day it came out. But something big goes down that I'm kind of like, okay, I was not expecting. But, I mean, Chip Zdarsky does amazing work, so I'm not doubting that. From the DC side of things, Batman vs. Robin number 2 has really been a book to check out. They're really, Mark Wade's really going a lot of crazy places with it. And Mamard Assert 
is absolutely crushing it on the earth, on the art. So like seriously, love what they're doing with this book. Uh, from parlay point section, the comicsology originals, you know, I love that line. You know, I, I preach about it all the time because I think they do some fantastic stuff. Census number two is out. Mark Bernadin, Adam Freeman, and Sebastian Perez. Uh, listen, the lovable loser of Liam Malone and his trials being a Census Bureau representative have not stopped with the laughs and the, you know, the the motif of the love, lovable loser. Like I mm-hmm. say, just he finds a way to make you root for him, even though he is just absolutely down on his luck and just the places he has to go. Taking the census of the supernatural has just been awesome. I really enjoy this book. I think there's a lot of humor in it and just some you know interesting takes that they have. Like I say, I really can't recommend this book enough. It's something different, so it's not for everybody per se, but I would say give it a shot on Comicsology Originals. I always preach about that line, and for rightfully so, mm-hmm. one of the best lines on comics, bar none. And my last pick, this is bittersweet for me. Once in Future, number 30. Okay. Now, this is the conclusion of the series. Oh, wow. And I'm just trying to find Pad some crazy artwork by Dan Mora because look at all this stuff that he is doing here. Wow. Like I say. That's a lot. For what they have done with Bridget McGuire, who I thought is one of the best written characters of all the comics, and the tale of King Arthur coming back and how they all intertwine this together, Karen Gillan and Dan Mora absolutely have made this book a must-read each month from Boom Studios. Dan Moore, I've gone on record, and i said I think he's the best artist in comics right now, bar none. I don't think anybody is really doing the amount of stuff that he's doing on this level at this moment. Not saying that there isn't great artists out there, because I think that there are, but I think for what he has been doing, like and this work in World's Finest for DC, mm-hmm. and I know he's going to be right, drawing the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover coming out later this year. He's at the top of the game right now. Like he is just absolutely killing it. And this book leaves nothing left behind. It's a bittersweet issue because, like I say, I'm a huge fan of the series. And when I knew it was coming because it's been building up in that story, they definitely ended on a high note. Um, no spoilers involved. I'm just going to tell you, get down to your local comic shop and go pick it up. And as always, we say, go support your favorite independent podcasts and go support your favorite local comic shops. Before we end, though, Pad, there was some news that came by the wire that I want your opinion on. Okay. So we got a press release about DC Universe Infinite. Okay. And they're now rolling out DC Universe Infinite Ultra. Hmm. So to quote the press release, DC Universe Infinite is getting better with the introduction of the brand new Ultra tier launching today. DC Universe Infinite Ultra, that's a mouthful, so I'm just probably shortening it up to Ultra. Subscribers will be able to read the latest releases of DC just one month after being available at the comic shops. Holy fuck. So starting today, the tier members can read books like Black Adam, numbers one through four, Batman Beyond the White Knight, one through four, Flashpoint Beyond, one through five, The Nice House on the Lake, one through nine, and much, much more. Plus, in mid-November, Ultra subscribers can read more than 5,000 exclusive titles from Vertigo, Black Label, and collections from DC, including Salmon Presents, Dead Boy Detectives, 100 Bullets, American Vampire, and more. Ultra Tier is available for a special limited time inductory price of $100 a year in the U.S., $119.99 in Canada, $134.99 in Australia, and $134.99 in New Zealand. And in the U.K., it's uh, 72.99 pounds, I believe. Okay. So plus, you know, applicable taxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the pricing rate is available from now until November 28th. So what I'm going to, oh, okay, actually, and actually it remains valid as long as your Ultra subscription is good standing and you do not cancel. Current oh. subscribers can upgrade monthly and annual subscriptions to Ultra. So, Pat, okay. what I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. What do you think this means? Like, what is this impacting you? I mean, it's it's wild to think of that, like, you will have a service out there where like you can get stuff that quickly ahead of time mm-hmm. you know but hey if you're that big of a if you're that if you're that big of a dc fan and like you can't wait the however long it is for it to hit the service normally it's usually three months if, if you're that big of a dc fan like hey more power to you go for it but if you can if you can stomach the weight then like i understand sticking with it, it it's wild to think of it it'll be interesting to see you know how it goes you know it i it's the first instance of its kind that i can think of yeah same here you know outside of like a comiXology where like you can get the stuff all the, like you can pre-order the stuff you know weeks ahead you know but in terms of like hey you just pay one monthly fee it's all right there you know, that's it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And if it goes well, I mean, I could see Marvel doing the same thing. You know, so it, it's an interesting litmus test. It's a very, very interesting litmus test. But it's one that I think gave me a little trepidation early. But then I reminded myself of something. We always preach about comicsology originals and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best lines in comics. And it's something that Scott Snyder said last year at NY Comic Con that I want to just kind of bring back in tenfold. We live in, and I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but the main gist is we live in a digital age and we'd get into these situations where this is a great way to test out a book if you like reading it. There's also nothing like going to a comic shop and picking it up. I don't think this is going to be the death of comic shops right? by any stretch of the means because if you're a true collector, and trust me, if you want verification that this is still a very viable medium, Go to a New York Comic Con one year. Yeah, really. Go walk around Artist Alley and see how many people are getting stuff signed. If you really think this medium is dead, it's not. It's evolving. But one thing I think that we've seen with the success of the Scott Tober line, especially, is you're now seeing DC follow suit almost in a reverse order. You can go for the print, but if you want to wait one month and read it, you'll read it. But there's nothing like holding a comic book or going to a shop that you can replicate on that app. Like, it's great to read for me, like, especially I'm on the go a lot. I'm reading a lot during my breaks at work and mm-hmm. such, like, you know, a little yeah. peek behind the curtain. That's how I do my, my reviews. But this is where I can go dive into a book and I can get, definitely catch up and I can do a lot of more interactions with that. But I still love going to a comic shop on New Comic Book Day, going in there, talking with our guy, Justin, from Justin Crescible Cosplay, there at Sound Go Round. I'll give a free plug them. And just having that experience and talking about the books. Like, what did you think about this? Talking with fellow fans. Like, yo, did you pick up this Radiant Black? I know we're talking Image Comics, but this is one that I always get into because they talk massive verse down there all the damn time. Nothing wrong with it. It's just that's how good that line is. But that's the example. Like, you go out there and you can buy it. Like, if you did something digitally, like we're talking Batman. Yeah. Right now, Chip Zdarsky run. Everybody's, you know, really amped up about it. Okay, so we're having those conversations while we're picking up the book and we're expressing that fandom. You can't replicate that online. I mean, obviously, you can do chats and whatever, but it's not the same. I don't think that medium is going anywhere, but I think this provides a great way for fans to get their comics to, and especially if you're not able to get to a comic shop every week, mm-hmm. this is a great way to still support the medium yeah. and still pick up books. I think this is going to be a good thing. I don't think this is the death knell by any means. I know some people are really worried about it, but I think this is something that I'm already a subscriber to Infinite. 
Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to be looking into picking it up. Yeah. No, it, make, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, especially with just as expensive as things have gotten and, and certain uh, amenities, I guess you could say, or certain luxuries you, you might have been able to afford before you're not able to now. This is just a way that you might be able to get back into it. They're like, hey, you know what? I'm not able to pay you know, 40, 50, whatever bucks it is, you know, a month. But hey, if I got this one fee, they're going to pay for the year or for the month or whatever, whatever it breaks down to, then hey, this, this might be the way for you to get back into them. Exactly. So I definitely recommend checking that out. But I will always tell you first and foremost, go support your favorite local comic shops always and forever. But listen, if you can't get down there that often, this is a great way to do it. And if you find some book on there that you really like, go down to your LCS and go pick it up. That being said, we will keep it very short and sweet for anything and everything that is the ODPH. Swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Just want to give a quick shout out to a listener of the show, uh, Matthew Goterrapins. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.